When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Yes, indeed. Hello, everyone. I'm John Lund alongside Al Renato, a.k.a. as New York sports radio fans know him, the great Al from White Plains, and this is New Report, Old Report. Here on Monday, March 18th from 8 to 9 Eastern Time, live on Sports Radio America. If you missed the live show, you can catch the replay all week, also at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, or find the show as bonus content under the Bridge Sports Podcast, which you can find by searching for the Bridge Sports Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, really wherever you get your podcasts, as well as at LondonBridge.com. If you want to interact with the show, you can call in or text in a question, comment, or complaint to 929-274-3437. Again, if you're brave enough, leave a voicemail with the same. We'll play what you have to say on air by calling 929-274-3437. This week, the brackets are out and March Madness is about to begin. We'll tell you who we like and don't like, as well as Odell Beckham traded from the Giants to the Browns. Check your sources. We're off. Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that was a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Or we don't know. Well, Al, another exciting week of athletics. Surprisingly enough, though, the excitement came off the field and off the court as we had some major movement in the National Football League. And we're finally here. Sometimes we look out and get to talk about stuff immediately after it happens, such as the case this year for Selection Sunday. The 68 are on paper. It's time to fill out the brackets. Cross your fingers and hope you'll win that office pool that everybody is so worried about winning. Some snubs as always. Some I'm surprised as always. But... For the majority of it, I wasn't shaking my head as much as I was nodding it, which I guess is good for the committee. I thought the number one seeds were deserving in Gonzaga and three ACC teams, Virginia, North Carolina, and Duke getting the overall number one seed. First time that's happened in ACC history, getting three, and just the second time in NCAA tournament history, the last time it was the Big East, and North Carolina won that year, so it didn't matter. (laughs) So any early thoughts here as we pick apart this bracket, take a look at some of the better teams, some of the teams we think are going to go far after we saw that uh, selection show later this afternoon? Well, this this is a committee that I can't be kicking and screaming about. It's plain and simple. I I think they did, for the most part, uh, an excellent job on weeding out – the schools from the major conferences that really had mediocre seasons, whether it's North Carolina state or Clemson or Indiana or Texas or BYU, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Those are all clubs that I thought had no business being in this tournament. There are still some that are, that remain because you really didn't have much of a choice. You can only put so many of these mid-majors in who did not have resumes that are worthy of being in. Now, the last team out, or however you want to put it, the first team out, if I want to look at it that way, is North Carolina Greensboro, 
who got bumped last night when Oregon knocked off, not just knocked off, uh, manhandled Washington in the Pac-12 finals. Oregon would not have otherwise gotten in. So they get the third bid. They keep Arizona State in there. Arizona State's one of the last to get in. But St. John's is the last to get in. Uh, and they get in basically over Greensboro, who ha- had a very good year as a mid-major. And you know, a couple real strong wins, but really didn't play much of anybody. And St. John's, whose year was really a roller coaster, sneaks in. That's really the only major issue, and it's not even major, that I had in terms of selection. As I said, I did not want Texas here, 500. I didn't want Indiana here, losers 12, 12 of 13. Uh, I didn't want North Carolina State, who played a brutal out of conference schedule. And I didn't think Clemson was worthy. Uh, Ohio State got in by the skin of their teeth. Uh, again, that was Ohio State Indiana game was must have been a playing game. But the point is, we had a, a lot of very weak major conference teams that normally would get in, but their in conference uh, resumes were seven, eleven, eight, and ten. Uh, you know, just not strong enough. TCU, for example. Um, that merited them getting in and they gave Belmont a shot. All right. And, you know, Temple gets a shot, uh, even though they're not exactly a mid-major, but, you know, their resume wasn't exactly sterling. Then again, Oklahoma gets in uh, relatively easily. So the, the bigger problem I had was some of the locations of the two seats. Uh, you know, today Tennessee was playing for that fourth one seat, we found out, but they get blasted by Auburn. So they wind up as a two and, uh, and I think it was a pretty tough region, but you know, people think Michigan state is the toughest two. I don't, I happen to think Kentucky is the toughest two, but regardless, you know, uh, Kentucky's with North Carolina, Michigan state's with Duke, uh, Tennessee, very tough too. playing for number one today is with Virginia. And what I think is the weakest number two, uh, Michigan, is with Gonzaga, who in all likelihood is the weakest number one solely because of their St. Mary's loss. Uh, if you're telling us that Tennessee was going to slide into the one spot with a win today, that means they were going in for Gonzaga and you were dropping Gonzaga because of their St. Mary's loss. So one one game in a, a week conference was going to knock Gonzaga from the one line. Um, but Tennessee couldn't pull it off. So if you deem them the fourth one seed, why are they with by all accounts the weakest too uh that just in terms of where you're putting teams locale wise that doesn't jive with me Uh, to me it's about you know strongest one gets weakest two etc so on down the line and i don't think it matched up that way let's take a step back for a second and look at some of the more noteworthy winners of their conference tournaments and what that winning meant as far as these seeds go in the tournament. I thought some teams absolutely benefited from winning. Some teams didn't benefit from losing, but then there was others that it didn't seem to matter what the scenario was for their wins or losses, i.e. the Big Ten, which played their championship the day of the bracket coming out and Michigan State wins and seemingly doesn't get rewarded for that. It almost felt like they had their mind made up regardless. I thought Duke winning the ACC tournament is the reason they got the number one overall seed. And I don't think I'm making any spectacular statements in saying so to me, 
once they beat Carolina, that was good enough. But obviously winning it all pushed them over the edge. And I think if they didn't, they probably wouldn't have had the number one seed, but I think they would have got a number one anyway. Now, how do we know? I'm not a member of the committee, but since they ran through that and won it, I don't think there was anything left for them to say somebody else deserved it more. I thought it was interesting with Michigan State winning them getting a short end of the stick in a sense by getting two. I thought there was an argument for them to get a number one seed. They didn't. They end up with the number two seed and they end up going into Duke's bracket. So quite a reward for that. Whereas Michigan seemingly was the beneficiary, even though they lost to Michigan State, ending up in a little bit of an easier time should they get to the end and have to face Gonzaga, as you mentioned, the easier of the two. But rarely does any of this work out that way. That's what makes it all. So uh, I don't want to say it makes our complaints uh, or our issues to be non-factors or unimportant because your chalk doesn't always win out and somebody gets knocked off or the teams that we think uh, got the short end of the stick don't perform and the teams that we think got the benefit go out and play lights out. Uh, you know, Gonzaga could go out and roll. Uh, Michigan you know, could knock off Gonzaga and, and play great and go to the Final Four. Michigan State could put up a stinker like they did last year against Syracuse. So you never really know how this is going to pan out, which is what makes it such an extraordinary event. But the, the, the problem, as I said, and you just hit on, uh, you know, to me, the, the glaring scenario is I think North, I have to think North Carolina uh, is every bit as good as anybody in, in terms of being an overall number one seed. And I think Kentucky's the strongest, too. Uh, I don't think Michigan State's the strongest, too. I think Kentucky is. So it shows you how it makes it a horse race. Uh, where minds can differ. I think Michigan State suddenly at two because, you know, they went through what I think is a very overrated Big Ten and knocked off Michigan again, you know, for the third time. And again, Michigan had complete control of, 12-point lead and the ball uh, in the second half, and they just collapsed. Couldn't score. Collapsed. Completely collapsed. And I was surprised that a John Bayline team completely collapsed like that. Uh, and they did. Completely collapse it was interesting too to hear Tennessee was basically playing for that one seed but getting blown out didn't help I think Gonzaga's loss also hurt them from getting a number one seed obviously to me and and it's been this way for most of the season once North Carolina started finding their stride to me it's them and Duke man as the top two teams in the league there's a lot of I don't have any confidence in the other number one seeds. I don't want to call them frauds. I've kind of been doing that as a joke. That's a little bit too severe to say that they're frauds, but I just don't believe in them. I don't believe in Virginia when they're not shooting well. That's a problem. And we've seen that happen a couple times. Having them lose to Duke twice, seeing them play in person, I don't I don't believe that they're the one of the best teams in the they're one of the best teams in the country, but I don't trust them. To make a long story short, Gonzaga is the same because this is who Gonzaga is. It seems year after year, they get a lot of hype and they don't deliver. This might be the year they do so, but I can't put my faith in them either. Yes, they beat Duke, but it was also at a tournament early in the season and it was a close game. It's not like they beat them by thirty points. 
As we mentioned on the show, though, they do have a lineup that is is very balanced and very complete. It wouldn't shock me to see them cruise, in a sense, in their region and get to the Final Four, but I'm not putting all my money on that yet. Tennessee is a familiar team as well when it comes to teams that I don't necessarily trust. They got off to a hot start. They were undefeated. They had the number one seed, as they should. They've had a couple ugly losses this year as well. Kentucky, I'm in 100% agreement with, with you on this. I think that's a sleeper team that's going to make some noise. I wouldn't say that they're going to make all the noise. I think there's going to be a limit on their team, but I don't think they'll have any trouble winning probably four games before then you could look and say, well, now we'll see. Because when it comes to this NCAA tournament, as we know, there's going to be points where stars have to take over for their respective teams, and there's points where coaches have to take over for their respective teams. Cal isn't a top three guy for me in that regard. I would put other coaches ahead of being able to out-scheme and out-coach him in a Final Four game, in a close game down the stretch. He's, he's had a great career as a coach, but he's also had a lot of what-ifs. I mean, you have a team that didn't lose, couldn't get it done. We'll go, we'll go back to some of those types of teams. He's had the guys, but that's when it's going to come down to coaching in this tournament, and, and he hasn't been able to do so. So I wouldn't get overly excited about Kentucky to the extent of being a national champion, but I do agree with you that they can make a run. To me, though, well, they it's play Mendoza, hard. North they play Carolina. Hard. They, they play very hard. They're strong on the glass, but they, they, struggle, they struggle to score sometimes. They really struggle to put the ball in the basket. Um, and yesterday was a perfect example. Down the stretch, they took complete control of that game. They had an eight-point lead, and they just collapsed. They could not put the ball in the basket from anywhere. Bunnies, offensive rebounds, follows, good, good moves inside, and Tennessee just came back, took the game away from them. Um, that can happen to anybody, obviously, but you still need to have guys who can shoot the basketball. Is that an Achilles heel, Achilles heel for the overall number one seed? Shockingly, you know, Duke, that's always been a good three-point shooting team, is miserable. You know, in the 300s, uh, ranking-wise. And you would think it would be higher with the likes of Cam Reddish uh, and with the likes of Barrett, who who is a good standstill shooter. But it is not. They've had one good three-point shooting game, and that was against Virginia. Um, and the second half against Syracuse when the kid came out. True, the right. But, you know, it, they are a very interesting team. Uh, you wonder if their, their overall number one seed is because Zion the Lion is back. And my, my my query with that is if they never if they didn't have him at all, and it was the same scenario, and it was just you know Barrett who came back. Now I understand they got him and he's terrific and that makes them that much better. But let's say they were the same exact team and he wasn't on the team. I know it's hard to envision, but that kind of year and Barrett's out, and Barrett comes back and do all the same stuff. You think they're still the overall number one seed? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe just the one seed, not the overall number one seed. But um, the thing that was remarkable about this weekend in watching him, of course, he comes back against my alma mater and just has 13 for 13. He's fabulous. I thought there may come a time, as you know, incredible a specimen as he is, that 
you know, is he going to run out of gas? He hasn't played much. Uh, what kind of game shape is he in? Well, obviously he was in great game shape. And who knows how long ago he could have played. But they kept him out. They got him in full and complete game shape immediately. Game two, he hardly rested all against Carolina. He has another brilliant game. And he has an okay game for him in game three, which they didn't need a great game from him because it was a low-scoring game. But he did his his other good things on the glass uh, that you know showed some remarkable basketball skills as a passer. And he is just literally turned into before my very eyes and for lack of a better term an excellent all around player at a very early stage in his career the things I saw in a very brief glimpse in this extended tournament was a player who had the skills quite frankly they didn't get a chance to see him fully show this year um, he's, he's remarkable on the second leap, the second bounce on the offensive glass. He gets that 280 pounds up off the ground quicker than his defenders because uh, he got so many buckets in this tournament off of his own misses and in big spots. His footwork is very, very good. And he showed an ability to go to his right off the dribble um, and from the elbow that I didn't know he had and finished with his right hand. So fundamentally uh, far better than I had originally thought when I got a real good look at him. Of course, incredibly physical uh, because of his size, uh, his width inside and bulk is very difficult to deal with. Uh, but you also see that this is not a guy. Yeah, he was two for nine against Syracuse from the foul line, but the stroke is there. You can see the stroke. And there's going to be an ability to extend that stroke. His form is excellent. Rotation. Uh, you're going to see the ability to extend the range as time goes on. So it, the sky is the limit. And I know it's no secret, but he really is a wonderful player who happens to be specimen-wise uh, outrageous, quite frankly. Uh, they have a chance, clearly, to run the gauntlet. But my question to you, you know, as you know, I had Dookie Pukie, is anything less than the championship a disappointment? Absolutely. Yeah, this this is a win or disappointment year. It's not the best. There's been a couple of those in more recent years as Duke fans where you get, for whatever reason, this this sense that if you don't win, it's like sometimes with the Yankees. If you don't win, the season's a failure. The old George Steinbrenner way of looking at things. Championship or bust. Six are in our sights. This is the year where it seems like they have to do it. Because if they don't, next year's squad, assuming that four of the starters are gone, isn't going to come anywhere close to the talent that they're able to have, not just with Zion, well, but through the board. Last year, how many guys, how, how, how many freshmen left last year? Four or five? Four or five, yeah. I forget the exact number, but it was it was one, one more than two, I thought it should have been. One, two, would you have four freshmen in Grayson Allen? Right. 
for starters, yeah. four. Right. All right. So they all leave. All right. And they're replaced by four more. Um, now, I don't know if they're going to be able to win a national championship without some better contributions from Cam Reddish uh, because he has been very disappointing of late. I don't know how consistent he is. Uh, the other night, Jones had a tremendous game, finally. I happen to think he was one of the most overrated players in the country. Couldn't put the ball in the ocean. But he had a very good game in the finals against Florida State. Found his stroke a little bit. Uh, he's never going to knock it down, you know, knock him dead from three point range, but you know, Syracuse was just daring him to shoot. They were going nowhere near him in the two three zone. They, they were backing off from, from 16, 17 feet. And in this tournament, you know, if you have one of those games where you can't knock down jump shots, you can wind up going home. And uh, that's really my biggest concern with Duke, along with. Uh, at times, they get very lazy on defense. Uh, they don't guard very well sometimes uh, off of quick buckets of their own. Uh, in half court, uh, they don't seem to guard very well. Um, everybody raves about Jones defensively. That's where it all starts. But I, I just don't think they don't have a real presence in the middle. I don't think they're real strong defensively because, you know, in the old days, it was Coach K. It was Coach Knight's disciple. It was Army, Duke, man-to-man, pressure, fundamental, knockdown, drag-out defense. All those days, those are guys you're coaching for two, three, and four years. Right. These guys are coming in from high school and uh, prep school and AAU, and you got it for a year. And I don't know how much you get to work with them on the fundamentals of their defense, both from an individual standpoint at the team standpoint, and they don't seem uh, to be that strong to me on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, they're going to have to play better defensively because uh, they got lucky against Carolina, quite frankly. Uh, I thought Carolina was going to beat them. I thought Carolina had them beat. Uh, they got a couple breaks down the stretch, and uh, Zion came through on the huge putback. And as a result, they get that win. They're, they're overall number one seed. I think if Carolina wins that game, and wins the ACC tournament. I think Carolina's your overall number one. Right. But this is where we are. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. So give me the early round matchup that you are looking to watch. I've got mine. What's yours? Well, let me make a rustling noise because I have uh, the bracket. Folks, that's uh, John Tiny One, ACC Network, I might add. (laughs) ACC Network, fumbling through his brackets. I, of course, have everything committed to memory because I, of course, am. We know which part of the show I am. I am indeed. You're a lot wiser than I am. Well, that's because obviously I am old. <laughs> the wisdom comes with the age. Uh, and while you're while you're thumbing through that, did you happen to get a load to if you didn't see the game? One of the most remarkable stat lines 
in the history of sports in one game that I've ever seen in my entire life at any level. And that was Marquette and Seton Hall the other night in the Big East terms. Did you happen to see that box score or see the game? 80-plus free throws attempted, close to double-digit technical fouls. It's stuff that you couldn't write in a, in a Hollywood play, and it happened. Three-plus three hours for the game. It, it was remarkable. How about Howard's box score? Somebody should frame it. Folks, this is one of the best guards in the country. He is uh, the star of the number five-seeded Marquette Warriors. Uh, I'm sorry. I refuse to recognize their, uh, their new nickname. So, number five, Marquette. Um, Mr. Howard must have spent the entire last five or six minutes of the game, which was 45 minutes, I would say, in real time, at the foul line. He was 18 for 24 from the foul line. But that's not the alarming part. In conjunction with being 18 for 24 from the foul line, and he's, by the way, a 90% shooter, from the strike. This is the confounding portion of the stat line. 18 for 24 from the foul line, one for 15 from the field. One for 15 from the field, 18 for 24 from the line. Um, and they are, while you're following through your papers, the five seed in my most intriguing first round matchup as they take on the racers of Murray State and lottery pick to be John Moran. So we have this matchup of great guards. One's going to be a lottery pick. Uh, the other is not uh, and really struggled in his conference tournament, but had a great regular season for the leading scores in the country. So that to me is my first round matchup. Have you discovered yours yet? You took mine. <laughs> <laughs> great comeback. I do agree with you, though. That's, that's going to be very exciting just to see him in the national spotlight. We've seen highlights. We've seen the sports centers going to his showy plays. Now the world is going to get to see what he's capable of. And he's going up against a team, as you mentioned, that has superstars in a sense of their own. So I don't, I don't think what happened in the big East tournament is going to hurt them, which is what you want to hear They're They'll be ready to go. And it could be one of those, Steph Curry Davidson type of performances from Morant willing his team to a win. That would be well, that would be pretty wild with it being Murray State. I, I was actually a little surprised that they were the 12. Uh, now, again, we're splitting, splitting hairs here, uh, but I thought that they, they could be, you know, as high as a 10. Uh, they were the, pretty much at the top of that conference all year and did win the conference tournament. So I thought they would probably be a 10, uh, and they had them all the way down at a, uh, at a 12, which I thought was a little bit of disrespect. So I'll glance quickly here, then I'll give you why I'm fearful that Duke isn't going to do well, as I always do as a Duke fan. I'll say LSU-Yale is going to be an interesting one to see with their coaching changes. Yale is obviously a team that gets into this tournament frequently and could be a team to have an upset there, even though it's a 314. We've got the younger Patino 
going up against his father's old squad, Louisville, Minnesota. If the committee tells you that they don't do these games on purpose and there's no rhyme or reason to the way they put things together and it's all well, random, that's please. So many people, please. That's so many people thought that Syracuse was going to get matched up against Washington. Uh, because for folks who don't know, the Washington head coach is Mike Hopkins. He was the uh, former Syracuse guard, longtime assistant, and the anointed coach in waiting. Uh, but he's from the West Coast, and he got an offers before and turned them down, and Washington came a-calling, and it looked like Coach Beheim was considering stepping down, but then they had recruited his son, Buddy, and I think Coach Hopkins probably saw, I don't want to say the handwriting on the wall, that, but that it was going to be much harder for Coach Beheim to leave when they were in the process of recruiting his son, and if his son did come, he'd want to coach him, so... Uh, Coach Hop took the offer from Washington. He took them to a tremendous first half of the season uh, where they were undefeated in the Pac-12 for a very long time. But uh, they had a rude awakening Saturday night in a uh, killer-be-killed game for Oregon. Oregon played tremendous, uh, held them scoreless for about seven, eight minutes in the second half, and ran and hid uh, 68-40, I believe, was the final. To steal a bit, which we found out later from North Carolina Greensboro. So uh, a lot of people had... Uh, Coach Bayheim against his uh, his what was going to be successor, uh, Mike Hopkins, in an 8-9 game, which turned out not to be Syracuse will open against Baylor in the West. Uh, and if they're lucky enough to get by, they will get Gonzaga in round two. I will say as well for a last one, speaking of Gonzaga in the South, the Villanova-St. Mary's game, a 6-11. Villanova not having their national championship-esque season, but still a hard out. St. Mary's with an impressive showing to beat Gonzaga in the championship in that bracket. That's going to be exciting to see. Now, Villanova can easily roll and start getting into their tournament ways. That wouldn't surprise me at all, but that could be a close game. Maybe one that St. Mary's will steal if they have a little bit of momentum coming. I would be shocked. I would be absolutely, positively flabbergasted if, as the defending champs, Jay Wright's team that has been up and down this year, got off to a great start, uh, despite a, a, a pounding at the hands of Michigan, they got off to a great start in the Big East and then really stumbled in the conference for a while and recovered and won the conference tournament in a tough game, but won it nonetheless against Seton Hall. And... I was surprised that they were a six. Thought they'd be a five. Again, splitting hairs, you know, between a five and a six. I didn't think they'd be a four. I thought they'd be a five. Um, I just, the tournament toughness, the experience, I just cannot see them losing the same areas. I can't see it. I can't see them being a one and done when they're the defending champs. I will say for Duke, I don't think this is going to be the, when we speak next Sunday, they're going to be out of the tournament. And there have been years like that, folks. Mercer, I don't even want to name the teams. We're not going to do that. I will say my biggest fear would be, as you mentioned, the Zion factor. Because in the North Carolina game, it was almost to the point of get him the ball, he's going to score, and they need him to do it. Sure enough, he gets the last bucket to fall. 
on a tip in after his own miss, just wills himself to get that final basket. Well, that, that is one winner. way of looking at it. But remember who they were playing. Right. They were playing one of the best teams in the country. So they shouldn't be playing one of the best teams in the country until the second weekend of the tournament. True. The fear is. And that was also a stretch where no one else could score for them. Right. Barrett. Uh, we struggled down this. Everybody struggled uh, down the stretch, uh, you know. And he took over, and that's what your but that's what your best player is supposed to do. Right, but that's the fear, and we know, and we've seen it a thousand times in these tournament games. If your best player gets in foul trouble, a quick two, sometimes teams are able to flip that switch, take the momentum, and build a lead that an, an opposing team isn't able to overcome. We saw it even happen in the Florida State game when Zion got poked in the eye. Before you know it, Florida State's up by 100, and they have to make one of the See, biggest I, comebacks I in school history. Biggest, I think their biggest concern is, is going to be going cold from three. Right. That's I think exactly their biggest right. concern has got to be, you know, because teams are going to collapse on him. They're going to look at There's going to be enough film out there, a video study. You know, you got to collapse on him. You got to double team him. You, you got to make somebody else beat you. If Barrett kills you all night or Radish kills you all night for three, then that's the way you die. Then that's the sword you die by. You can't, you know, when he gets it down low, you know, help's got to come right away. You just double him so that way he can't go to his, you know, swing to his strong side. Or if he takes the drop step to his right, you know, to his right hand, there's somebody there. You've got to make him throw the ball out all the time, all the time, or force up a shot against the double team. I'm never singling him in the post, never. Right, you shouldn't. Let them kick it out to Jack White and watch what happens with that. I will say it was nice to see, especially in the North Carolina game. We saw it in the Florida State game. Some guys come off the bench for Duke now. They're getting valuable minutes. They're playing great defense. Goldwire is phenomenal on defense, even though he can't shoot from, say, four feet away. That's fine. <laughs> Maybe he's just afraid to. He's a factor, though. They he's have those guys he's now that can provide a spark, much like Grayson Allen did in the Wisconsin National Championship game when he was with them with the 17,000 freshmen they had in that squad. And that's what you're going to need in this tournament. They obviously want to get Bolden back from injury. He's huge, literally, down low for them. But there's, there's attempts where you could beat Duke, and I think you hit the nail on the head. Let them shoot threes. Don't let Zion beat you. We'll, we could see a game like that. Knock on wood, I hope. It doesn't happen before we talk again next time. Who is your most intriguing team in the tournament? <sighs> I do like the intrigue of Kentucky. See, there's a lot of a lot of teams that I think people are going to put far that I don't, as I mentioned to you, I don't have enough trust in them to get to that point. I could see them losing more than I could see them winning. Like Gonzaga getting to the end to play Michigan? Eh, I don't know if we'll either of those teams get that far. Kentucky... Could be that team. I don't see Tennessee necessarily making a big run. There's still a lot of teams that I don't have trust in for this tournament. And that's, that's a testament to the tournament in itself. Things turn on a dime and teams lose games they shouldn't way too many times. And sometimes the best team doesn't even win the tournament, if you want to look at it that way. I think maybe, too, we'll see... This is when you start seeing the coaches, as we said, have a little bit more impact. 
it wouldn't be surprising to see Kansas maybe surprise some people and just move a little farther with Bill I Self. Don't, I, but I, I don't know see. how much you love Bill Self. <laughs> I, 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 I like Bill Self. Uh, I don't see the Kansas talent because of the injuries. Um, I don't see it there. They haven't really been right as we know Kansas to be uh, all year. Well, let's let's see too what this Houston but, team is made out of. Thirty-one and three, a three seed, a little uh, taking it back to the early nineties. Maybe they could put uh, a little thought, run together. I thought they were playing for a two seed today, um, and lost it. I thought they were going to be on the two line if they batted up the tournament. To me, the most intriguing team is, without question, very simple: the Virginia Cavaliers. After last year, back on the one line where they belong, God forbid, folks, there are eight minutes to go in the first round against Gardner-Webb, and they're tied. What's the reaction of the players? What's the reaction of the coaching staff? What's the reaction of the fans? You know the fans are panic-stricken already to the extent where you almost don't want to be a one seed again. Obviously, they are. They deserved it. They had a great year. They get bounced by Florida State uh, in a game where they were clearly outplayed. And one of their uh, leading scorers, Kyle Guy, says post game, their size and athleticism gave us trouble. And that's what gives them trouble. Athleticism gives them trouble. So, where is a bad matchup? Could Gardner-Webb actually give them a run? Because we know at times Virginia can struggle to score. We know at times if they don't get points from Jerome and Guy, a lot of which come from outside the three-point line, that they struggle to score. I'm not saying they won't beat Gardner-Webb by 35. But if this game is at any point in time in the second half, close. How tight does Virginia get? And the interesting storyline for that, too, and not to say this wouldn't play a factor anyway, but if you have these one-and-done teams, like if that Duke team happened to be the first team that lost to a 16 seed last year, this group of guys doesn't care. They weren't part of the team. It's a new dawn, a new day. What, What do they care about that? This Virginia team, a lot of older guys on it, they'll remember. Jerome was there. Guy was there. Hunter was there. They were there. And you know the coach will remember. Because, you know, look at for all of all the accolades that we not so much me, but you people <laughs> keep on Tony Bennett. Uh, he still hasn't been to a final four. I'm, that's that's he forget about it, he hasn't won a national championship. Or hasn't played a national championship game. He hasn't been to a final four yet. It's you know, time's a waste. Starting to get to the point now where you're, you're one seed again. You know you're going to start getting some Jim Bayheimitis, and it's not like Bayheim was regularly a one seed before he finally went after 12 years in 1987. Um, I always get those. I think 12th year, 12th year, 11, probably 12th year, 11th year. I guess he's 11th year. But regardless. Because um, he was always known as the coach who did less with more. Um, and yet, it's not like he was year after year a number one seed. But high seeds. 
uh, certainly it was a number one seed in the East my senior year. Uh, and they lost to uh, Lute Olson's Iowa club with Ronnie Lester, who went on to lose to Larry Brown's team to go to the Final Four. Um, but it's about time that Tony Bennett gets himself to a Final Four. And if he doesn't, what happens to Tony Bennett? Does Tony Bennett become a candidate for the UCLA job? If Sean Miller leaves, does Tony Bennett become a candidate for the Arizona job? And think about heading west, young man. Very curious, very interesting. Or is he just going to stay at Virginia forever and keep plugging away until he finally gets to a Final Four and wins the national title? Based on the bracket, they should be okay getting to the Elite Eight. After that, though, to get to the Final Four, you're looking at Villanova, you're looking at Tennessee, and you're looking at you know whomever else might upset to get there. So, Just when I fall in love with Tennessee, they do what they did today. Right, exactly. Exactly. There, there's That's been so many teams this, this year where you put your faith in them and then they lose a game where it's flabbergasting that they would lose. And again, because you said, well, all you got to do is win two in a row. Exactly. Two in a row, two right. in a row. Well, they couldn't win two in a row. Right. And, and Kentucky, although the other end, Kentucky had a, Kentucky's up eight with three minutes to go. I mean, the game's over, or so we thought. So Tennessee really should have lost right. on Saturday. Um, but they come back, and then they're never in the game today. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. Folks, we shift from a field of 68 trimmed down to 64 in the greatest sporting event, uh, really, that there is. The greatest single sporting event event uh, to your most popular year-round interest, which is, of course, the National Football League and the trade of uh, everybody's former favorite New York Giant. John? To the Browns? (laughs) Odell Beckham Jr. to the Browns. Very interesting in that David Gettleman came out just even less than a week before the trade happened and said, we did not sign Odell Beckham Jr. to trade him, which you would think, of course you didn't. Why would you? You extended him. You got him his money. He's going to be one of the staples. Saquon will be one of the staples. We find a quarterback. We ride off into the sunset. Well, things changed real fast. And they got rid of what was deemed a distraction. And I've been waiting patiently all week to at least hit on this point. And you might disagree with me, but in the National Football League, I don't know why the narrative for some of the game's best wide receivers automatically falls to they're a distraction. They need to go. We had it with Antonio Brown when he left Pittsburgh. Granted, He was kind of a distraction. In my opinion, you should ignore any distractions for guys like that, but I digress. For Odell, we have never heard from any Giants player that he has been a distraction 
inside the locker room. You hear how great of a teammate he is. Reporters tell you, well, some reporters, tell you how great of a person he is to interview. People look at what he does on the sidelines, kicking the field goal net, and going on the trip on the boat when it's playoff week. Oh, I, I don't understand this narrative and, and come, and that these guys are like, distractions. And, and coming back from the trip, it's like, hold on. Right, he, he, he had an awful game, which didn't help his cause. Why he is pegged as a distraction for most of his career is beyond me. A lot of it has to do with New York media, as, as we know. That doesn't help. Some of it has to do with what we see on television. He's one of the best well, receivers in the television. NFL. He's one of the best oh, wide receivers in the NFL. Let him distract yeah, yeah, as much as you want. He's one of the best wide receivers in the NFL, as is Antonio Brown, as was Terrell Owens. But, you know, when you're one of the best wide receivers in the NFL and you are no longer a rookie and it's time to maybe start becoming a leader of the team and you're making a ton of money and you're in New York and you always want the ball, you celebrate by getting out all fours and lifting your leg in the end zone. You carry on on the sidelines a soap opera slash reality show with a kicking net. I, I mean, where are we? But is that a reason to trade a guy? He I don't think like so. A buffoon. That's fine. <laughs> he catches like the ball. A total and complete horse's ass. I'm not saying trade him, but you're asking me why. I'm giving you, I think, some pretty valid reasons why. That's the way you act. And oh, by the way, in the biggest game you've ever played on this team, you cost them putting a real hurting on the Packers in the first half and maybe winning that game before the Packers turned it around and kicked their ass because they have to come back from the ball trip. You couldn't hang out of the ball. In a game, by the way, where your 100-year-old quarterback actually played very well. And I am on no side here. I think they should be drafting a quarterback because I'm in a unique position. I'm here in New York. And I'm listening to, we love Eli, long live Eli. Eli's got to be a quarterback. You side with Eli yet until, until death do his part. You know, we got to see Eli on his knees like a, a, a 78-year-old Y.A. Tittle bleeding from the forehead. You know, that, that legendary picture. It was a good you know, reference. Eli's got a quarterback to see him forever until he doesn't want to play anymore. It's like Eli's got a, Eli gets the quarterback, the Giants, like Tom Brady gets the quarterback to pass. I'll decide what I'm going to leave. Well, that, that's not the way it goes. And on the other hand, you know, you've got this character who is a bright young guy, who is a brilliantly gifted player, who they're definitely better on the field with, and all the numbers say Eli's better, win more. You want to know something? Here's the way I look at it. And I guess I don't care. I don't give a rat's ass. The greatest receiver of all time has got a ton of rings, and we never heard a peep out of him other than first class handled himself on the field and off the field with the epitome of grace, right? Anyone Super Bowls with the San Francisco 49ers, of course, it's like about Jerry Rice. But if you take the three divas, that's what I call them, okay? If you take Diana Ross and the Supremes, Terrell Owens, Hall of Famer, Antonio Brown, sure shot Hall of Famer, and in all probability, if he just plays long enough, 
Odell Beckham Jr., eventual Hall of Famer, in all probability. What do they all have in common? Hands that are their absolute and total gift that make them what they are. Well, when they hold up those hands, and you see those 10 digits on those two hands, and you see those 30 fingers, how many championship rings do you see on those fingers? That's exactly right. Zero. So you may be better with them than without them, but the bottom line is nowhere has anybody been good enough with them to win championships. So if they become more trouble and you're not winning with them championships, then they become more trouble than they're worth. Because all that matters in the business sense of sports, when you get to this level, which is the professional level, whether it's football or basketball or baseball, is winning championships. It's not high school. It's not college where competing or making it is good or good enough. It's all about rings. We judge everybody now by rings. We judge everything by championships. They have none on those 30 fingers. So no matter how much better you may be with them, you're not good enough with them. And if they become such a strain, such a pain in the ass, such a distraction for the front office, the ownership, the coaching staff, to the point where they divide the fans in their own hometown, then you want to know what? You go. Especially if you get value. And they did get value. I don't know what Jabril Peppers is going to be. And I don't know what they get on the third round pick. But they got more than I would have given them. How it turns out remains to be seen. Obviously, the Browns now have an offense that is absolutely electrified. They've reunited the LSU pair with him and Landry. They've got the running back from Georgia. They've got Hunt after eight games of suspension. They've got Duke Johnson. They've got the big tight end from Miami. They're loaded. And they've got a quarterback who can throw the ball through the what do you call that thing on the, 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 the opening in the needle? The eye? You can throw the ball through an eye of a needle. That don't that accurate. All right. So the Browns are suddenly you know, the team to beat in the AFC North. Beckham is a big reason why. I thought the Giants did pretty well on the trade. The question for me is, I don't know what the other Giants are doing. I know what the Browns are doing. At least. That's easy. You got to give up something to get something. They got a fabulous, fabulous play. Still underachieving, but incredibly gifted. The Giants got value, but I don't know what the Giants are doing with the value. The Giants are the drift quarterback, which shows you that I'm on nobody's side. They're nuts. They now are committed to Eli Manning and all his money this year. I still say if they don't draft a quarterback with a sixth pick, they're nuts. But that's just me. I'm in agreement with that. I, I think they need a quarterback, obviously, and desperately in this draft or, or trade for one or something. They need to have an answer now for that. They did get Golden Tate to help out that wide receiving core, which still needs a little bit of work, but they need to answer that future problem. To me, with the wide receivers, I think not enough is necessarily put on the situation as well as it is put on the player specifically. Big Ben 
considers himself the man of the Steelers. I can only imagine the clashing that happened behind the scenes with him and Antonio Brown. And we're hearing it now sometimes come to light, which isn't the best of looks for Ben Roethlisberger when you hear some of the things he said or how he was as the leader of the team, whatever. Eli Manning's not going to say anything negative about any of his players. So he's not the guy that's going to keep Odell Beckham Jr. in line. The coaching carousel for the Giants didn't help in keeping him in line. Tom Coughlin had no answers. Ben at his slicked back hair had no answers. The GM has no answers. I don't know if the Antonio Brown experiment with the Raiders is going to work just because he can easily clash heads with John Gruden, the quarterback, and David Carr. It's it's going to be interesting to see. Derek Carr, by the way. Shout out to his brother. I think Odell is going to fit in perfectly with the Cleveland Browns because Baker's not going to take his shit. And he's only in the league his second year. Now, we're going to see if he's going to fall into a sophomore slump. I, I think the Browns maybe have been put a little bit too high on a pedestal, though I would love to see them reach it. There's guys in the National Football League that had equal or larger egos that were still able to win national or Super Bowl championships. Dion has a couple rings. Michael Irvin has three rings. It can be done. I think people tend to forget the situation that those players are also in. They focus more on just the player, just the quote-unquote distraction. I think it just gets a little bit overblown. Unfortunately for Antonio Brown, going to the Raiders, I don't think is the place where he can prove that he can win a Super Bowl. We'll see if Odell has a shot. That's going to be it for our time. Look at us ranting and raving about the National Football League. I love it. We didn't even hit on Le'Veon Bell. We've still got time for that because maybe the Jets will have some excitement in New York. Maybe they'll be more exciting than the New York Football Giants. Al, we'll do it again next week. We'll still have a ton to talk about. I think they will be. We will have completed our first wild uh, weekend of the tournament, which to me is always the most fun, always the most exciting. Folks, fill out those brackets. Enter early. Enter often. Uh, have a great week. Enjoy the first couple of games of the tournament. We will talk to you next week. For John Tinyland, I'm Al Renato, a.k.a. Al from White Plains. Have a great week, everybody. We'll be back next Monday night, 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>